Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? How are you going? Well, we know just enjoying a weekend of the Olympics and a bit of sports to watch while we're still sitting here in lockdown in Melbourne. So at least we've had a bit of a distraction because um, there hasn't been a whole lot of NBA because it all got finished up pretty early in the week. It certainly did, but you, yeah, the Olympics. I love the Olympics, Caddy. I don't know how you feel about the Olympics, but I, I all of a sudden become the the world's biggest diving expert. That the guys are <laughs> creating too much splash, or it's unbelievable. What sport do you do you enjoy watching, Caddy? That usually you wouldn't give the time of day to. Well, the one uh, the sport today, which was on um, their Olympic debut, was the skateboarding, which I didn't intend on really getting. I saw into a little bit all, of that. There was. It was <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty cool. Yeah, so. That was one I um I did enjoy. Not a big Tony Hawk fan back in the day, were you, Caddy? No, not really. No, I was pretty sheltered from too many extreme sports as a as a youngster. But uh, no, I thought it certainly didn't look out of place in these Olympics. I thought it was good, and the surfing was another one that I've, I do follow uh, regularly throughout the uh, throughout the season. But um, so, yeah, Sally Fitzgibbons was good early. I saw that she was. Yeah, so um, yeah, she'll be certainly in with a, a chance to medal. But um. Oh, no, I think we all become become experts in some artistic gymnastics and, and all sorts of things that, <laughs> when we settle in to watch them. But uh, just trying to encourage um, a young bloke who's seven to – he got into the women's relay in the swimming today. I thought that was pretty cool. So, Wasn't that, was yeah. that good to see that the girls breaking the world record? Absolutely. No, they've had a bit of a handle on it uh, for a few Olympics now. So it's pr- probably our pet event, I think, in the uh, the Australian Olympic market. But um, – yeah, hopefully um, it'll be the start of a, of a significant gold rush in the pool. Hopefully. And uh, we've just seen the Boomers, of course, have their first game. We'll touch on that a little bit later, Caddy. But we'll jump into the to the NBA talk. As you said, was a little bit disappointing that it, uh, it did ra- all wrap up in Game 6. But it was Milwaukee with a 105-98 win in Game 6 to clinch their, their first title. I think it was 50 years, I think, Caddy. Giannis Antetokounmpo, absolutely unbelievable in, in the closeout game. 50 points, 14 rebounds, 2 assists, and 5 blocks. He did it all. One of the greatest NBA final games we've ever seen. It, it, that's uh, not, not getting carried away, carried away saying that. We'll just touch on Giannis initially, Caddy. What was the most impressive thing from you in that game that he produced? Well, it was his free throw shooting, I think, which was just um, statistically off the chart. Not just for him, but for anyone really. The seventeen from nineteen uh, from the line was just unbelievable, considering you know his struggles that he's had, you know, all throughout his career, and particularly in these playoffs. I mean, you know, this game certainly wasn't a blowout by any stretch. It was really down to the last um, minute or so. But um, for him to to stand up and and hit those free throws all throughout this match um, was you know something we just hadn't seen from him, and it certainly contributed to padding out that box board, uh, box score in the fifty point game that he had. And, yeah, real credit to him that he was able to to find some find something there from the line, and and he, he actually made them look pretty easy by the end of it. They they weren't even looking like missing. So that was the the real incredible one for me. I think um you know the the defense, the block shots, you know the the five blocks there when you put it with the fifty points and the, and the rebounds, you know it becomes statistically historical, absolutely. So, but I think for for me it was the free throw shooting that was the was the outlier and and something that. I probably didn't expect, or I don't think anyone would have expected going into that match. No, you would have got pretty good odds about Giannis going eighty, shooting eighty nine percent from the free throw line. I totally agree. He he shoots his usual sort of sixty percent on a good day. They probably they either lose a game or the game goes to overtime. So yeah, it was incredible for him to step up in such a precious a precious situation 
and knocked down knocked down those free throws. And like you said, most of them didn't even look like missing. So that was incredible. I agree. He also, his defense, his motor was just running on high. And Jeff Van Gundy made the comment uh, a number of times. That j- just the passion and intensity he was playing with. Like, it's almost impossible to play with a guy that's that, that's putting out that much effort and, and not and not doing it yourself. So he certainly led by example with the way he played. Um, with his with his motor so high, and n- not just his free throw shooting, but his, but his whole offensive game I thought was really good. He was attacking. He only had the the, the three threes in the end, but a, a couple of them were were sort of in rhythm, so they weren't too bad. He had a, hit a couple of sort of turnaround jumpers and some nice little hooks, so he had the whole package going, and he just looked unstoppable. We you, you had sort of foreshadowed this leading into the series that Phoenix didn't really have a great matchup for him, and it could be a series where Giannis sort of did get right on top, and in the end, you know, he did just wear, wear DeAndre eight down, and uh, I think Mark Jackson made, made the comment a couple of times that DeAndre Ayton just wasn't getting into the right position defensively, and in the end, he, he just had his number defensively, didn't he? Yeah, he did, and I think um, by the end of the series, you could really tell, you know, those Phoenix younger players had, had almost seen enough by the end of it. They were they were pretty cooked, and that includes Devin Booker, um, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikhail Bridges, I think. The three of those guys in particular um, in that last game really struggled. They were you know, fumbling the ball, weren't able sort of to get anything going um, offensively. Devin Booker was in the end giving up, you know, some open threes, which I think he really had to pull the trigger on, even though he was zero from seven on the night. There was a couple of uh, passages down the stretch that, you know, he, he did have a have an open look and, and elected to have an, an extra pass. So, yeah, look, you know, they were absolutely fantastic all season and to get so far through and have a two-year lead into the finals was, was an outstanding effort. And, but, you know, they, they'll look into next season with plenty Plenty still to work on and, and drop this down as a hopefully for them, you know, a really good um, piece of experience for them. And, and, you know, Chris Paul's had his first crack um, on this stage as well and obviously played a pretty terrific game in this last uh, final game as well. So, yeah, but Aiton, uh, Booker and Bridges, I thought, yeah, started to struggle a little bit at the moment, may have just got a bit too much for them in the end. Aiton in particular, I thought we, we sung his praises and everybody had right throughout the playoffs. He was shooting some ridiculous, like almost 70% from the field, but he just missed so many easy ones that he would usually make and he was and he was rushing himself a little bit too much. And I agree with you. Whether it was the moment getting too big for him or it was just a combination of the fact that he, he was the one that was relied upon to guard Giannis and that was just sort of wearing him out. I'm not too sure, sure what it was, but he'd, he'd had a fantastic playoffs right up until that point. So it was a little bit disappointing to see him put what, what was, I think anyway, de- definitely his worst game of the playoffs on the biggest stage. So And same with Devin Booker. He'd been outstanding with those back-to-back 40-point games. But, yeah, he, he 8 from 22 from the field. You mentioned the fact he was 0 from 7 from 3 and maybe even passed up a couple of ones that he, he would usually make. So d- disappointing for, for Phoenix to bow out in that situation, but we'll, we'll get back on to Milwaukee for the time being. How impressed with you, were you, sorry, with, with Chris Middleton's ability to sort of close out, not only in game six, but right right throughout the playoffs, every time Milwaukee needed a bucket, it wasn't Giannis they went to it, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Giannis has taken some criticism right throughout his career for the fact that he's not a go-to scorer and not, not a closer, but he knows his role. He had he had that nice little handoff uh, to Middleton, who hit that real late key jumper. So, how, how impressed have you been with Middleton's ability to be that closer for, for Milwaukee right throughout the playoffs? Yeah, well, you know, he he's been a real consistent player through you know through the eight years he's been in Milwaukee alongside Giannis, and he's continued to improve. Incredible story, Almost, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he was a, a second round draft pick in, in Detroit and got in, thrown in 
into a trade, basically the Max Salary at that point from Detroit over to Milwaukee. And Played in the G League. Yeah, G League, yeah, to continue to build his game and, and build respect, just not with their own with his own teammates and within the organisation. So he's certainly been able to do that and then some become an all-star level player. And, you know, and on this big stage, you know, you look at his minutes played through this series, it was 45, 41, 41, 43, 44, 41. And I don't know that this, if this series had gone to a uh, game he was seven, gas, he, had, wasn't he? he didn't have a lot left in the tank, absolutely. So, you know, he, he hit that really important jump shot late in the fourth quarter. You talk Even that was just a line honest. drive. He was, he was out on his feet, wasn't he, by the time he was yeah. shooting that? Yeah, but look, he, he was able to, to make it, and that was probably the death knell really in this game. But um, yeah, he, he was pretty awesome, as you mentioned. You know, the, the forty-point game in Game Five, he did twenty-nine points in. Uh, sorry, in Game Four, the twenty-nine in in Game Five. In this game, the defense, four steals, um, seventeen points. But yeah, I think for him just to to play those type of minutes at that type of level, his defense, you know, guarding Booker predominantly up the other end as well, would have you know obviously taken a hell of a lot out of him. So um, he was. Really unbelievable through this final series, and, and provided that you know that second second banana that they really needed. Almost, you know, he, he wasn't entirely the high level consistently, but um, you know, I think for the most part, he'd be really really happy with his with his final series. He averaged the twenty four points now through the series on forty four percent shooting, which which was probably okay. So now he's got to dust himself off again, and um, well, he's in Tokyo now, and interesting to see what sort of minutes he plays tonight when they when the Americans take the court a bit later on against France. You'd reckon he'd be eased in a little bit, wouldn't you? You'd give him the first couple of games off. It'd be interesting to see how much he sort of does flow into their rotation once they get going. But what the, the biggest move that the Bucks made in the offseason, no question, obviously, was bringing in Drew Holiday. They gave up Eric Bledsoe. They gave up a boatload of draft picks. They signed him to this max extension. And everybody sort of looked at that and thought, well, is Holiday going to be a big enough player or a big enough piece to, to put uh, Milwaukee over the top? And even though he was up and down, and even in Game 6, you look at, you know, look at the fact he was four from 19 from the field, and he's had a number of those games during the playoffs where he just couldn't get anything to fall. But just his defense was absolutely first class right throughout the playoffs. He made life so difficult for both Devin Booker and Chris Paul in game six and right throughout the series. I think that I mentioned last week that the, the series did shift back in Milwaukee's favor. I felt when, uh, when they did put Drew Holiday onto Chris Paul and, and just wore Chris Paul down eventually. So, so what about Drew Holiday? Obviously, it, it's it's turned out be, to be a, the right decision to, to give up all the draft picks because once you get a championship, it doesn't really matter what happens over the next few years. So, how, how can you how do you see Drew Holiday going forward as being a big piece for Milwaukee? Well, I think he's paid his way already, as you mentioned. You know, the whole idea is to to win a title, and you know, teams can build and build and build for years and years with stacking draft picks and and you know, making big trades or whatever it is. But it's all with one goal, which is to win the championship. So this, um, the Bucks have been able to do that in year one after making that trade. So whatever happens from here on now, it's got to be deemed a success, absolutely no doubt about that. So, look, he's still a young enough player in his prime probably at the moment that he's going to continue to um, to, to contribute really at a higher level. And, and as you mentioned, the, the defence was the key reason of him coming over and, and then providing sort of that third or fourth string um, from the offensive point of view, and he was able to do that. Not not so much in this game six, but throughout the series, we've sung his praises that he was able to at least put a couple of big games together there and, and really help help them out. So all credit to him and, and to the Bucks for taking a chance and, and you know, they, they did have to give up significant draft assets to get it done. 
you know, plus pay him a pretty significant salary, not just for this year, but for a number of years to come. So this trio that they have, Middleton, Giannis and Holiday, are locked in together for the next uh, three seasons as it is. Yeah, so this team's not going to change a hell of a lot from what they've currently got. I think PJ Tucker's probably the, the only real significant unrestricted free agent that they'd be looking to try and either um, get back or, or fill that void for somebody else. And I think it's great when you see a team push all their chips in like, like Milwaukee did and bring in someone like Holiday because obviously they had, you know, Giannis's contract hanging over their head. So they probably felt, you know, that they were, they were being a little bit forced to make a move. And I'm sure Giannis probably said to their front office, look, the team we've got at the moment isn't good enough. You need to make a move. And they made that. So on, it's great when you see a team do that and they get rewarded, I guess similar to what Toronto did a couple of years back where they gave up DeMar DeRozan, brought in Kawhi Leonard. They didn't know how long Kawhi would stay for. Now, it only eventually was one season, but they got the title out of that. So I think it's great when these teams have the balls to do this and come away with the win. Now, what about my man Bobby Portis, Caddy? I foreshadowed him foreshadowed him maybe being a bit of an X-factor throughout the series, and he was unbelievable in, in Game 6. Uh, 16 points. Uh, three rebounds off the bench. He just played with with huge energy, and he's just a crowd favourite. I don't know if you watched uh, after the game when they interviewed all the players. They 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 basically cheered for him that loud that they had to that they had to interview him after the game, which yeah, I, I thought was, was fantastic. Quite, I was actually getting a bit frustrated really for that because I was actually hoping they'd you know I saw poor old Brook Lopez. Yeah, who, I um, can't believe they didn't interview him. Yeah, he, he didn't even get many minutes. You know, I thought they might have even brought him into that last possession in the game too, just to sort of give him a bit of a. Um, you know, just to finish it off in front of the, the fans. And even at the end, I thought they would have been uh, able to interview him. He'd been a pretty significant part of the last uh, three years or so with the Bucks, um, getting them to this position. But it was Bobby Portis, as you mentioned, that was the one that, that got the interview and then got the crowd chanting as well. But look, he, he played a pretty significant, uh, significantly important game in this one. He nearly threw it all the way with that carry-on when he uh, was... Uh, Bit of a high the court <laughs> when he um, and then got given the subsequent t- technical foul. He got a bit carried away, but no, his energy was awesome. And um, you know he played played really well. Sixteen points off the bench in twenty three minutes, which were which was not insignificant in this matchup. So now all credit to Bobby, as a former Chicago Bull. Um, you know he was probably best remembered for um, being in a punch on with Nikola Mirotic <laughs> at, at training one day, and um, you know it sort of almost blew up that. That team as it was constructed at that point, so he's been able to. Veritas you know, put one on his chin, didn't he? It was that one? Oh, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. They had a bit of a scuffle in training, and I think at that point they were basically competing for that same power forward spot uh, for the for the Bulls at that time, and yeah, it obviously blew over in, in training. So yeah, it didn't end well for Bobby Portis in Chicago, but he's able to you know he's picked himself back up the, off the canvas and been around to a few different teams in between and, and found a role here um, in. Oh, off the bench in Milwaukee, and he, he is another guy that is out of contract um, going into this season, so they'll have to potentially find Surely a Surely he doesn't um, go anywhere else after this. Well, I think they might burn down the um, Deer, Deer Stadium <laughs> or whatever they call it outside if they were bring him back. So, look, he's got a 3.8 uh, player option heading into next season, which I'm sure he will be declining and looking for something a bit more longer term. And just on Brook Lopez, you mentioned there, it was good to see in that third quarter. I think he scored about, I think it was six points from memory in a row when they were really struggling to get anything going. And, and he even threw down a nice sort of Statue of Liberty dunk. So I agree. I was really disappointed that Brook Lopez didn't get that that on-court interview. They sort of ran through, obviously, the, th- the three big stars. And you would assume that they were, would be going to Brook next. And maybe it was because they did speak to Bobby Portis that, uh, that Lopez didn't get that interview. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he did deserve that. So... 
What about next season for Milwaukee? Where do you sort of see them in the East? Do, do you think you've still got Brooklyn ahead of them, obviously with their three stars, health permitting? Would you still have Brooklyn ahead of them? Or do you think now with this confidence that, that uh, Milwaukee will get from this title that they're the team to beat in the East? Uh, look, I think on face value, if the Brooklyn Nets bring back Irving, Durant and Harden in relatively you know good shape or you know really good shape and, and they get out on the court together, then they'd probably have to go in still as the British favourites, but I think the um, the big thing here is, you know, Giannis and, you know, does he continue to potentially improve? Does this uh, title elevate him again to a, to another level or, or is this, you know, as good as he's going to be? Look, I think there's still more in Giannis and there, there's some more improvement he can make to his game, which is, you know, He got better scary. during the playoffs, didn't he? Yeah, pretty scary to think so. Look, I, I think they'll be certainly you know, considered as one of the probably top two uh, sides going to come out of the East at this stage, but I think you've got to probably Expect Brooklyn with the odds markets will be uh, certainly high up there as well um, if they bring all those three players back. Now, moving over to Phoenix, I mean, the, the biggest question mark, obviously, is Chris Paul. Everybody felt that this was his, his best chance, obviously, of winning a title. Um, he's 36 years old, I think it is now, so he hasn't got too many years left in him. W- w- what do you see Chris Paul doing next year? Do you think it's a foregone conclusion that he's just going to run it back and come back to Phoenix? Or do you think maybe he looks at the, the roster and thinks, well, I don't know if I stay here, I'm going to get that elusive title. There's been rumours about him potentially heading to, to the Lakers and playing with LeBron. I've got absolutely no idea how that salary cap could even work unless Chris Paul's happy to decline his 40-odd million or whatever he's owed next year and go and play for a minimum contract. I find that difficult to believe. But but what do you think Chris Paul's going to do next year? Do you think he's just going to run it back at Phoenix? Well, look, hopefully. But, um, you know, it's just incredible to think, like looking back four years ago when he did sign that monster deal that had this $44.2 million player option at the end of it, it was like, oh, my God, this contract's an absolute disaster. And I think the Houston was, GM know, said at that time it was the worst contract in professional sports. Might have been his, his quote. Yeah, absolutely, and it probably felt like it was. And you know, the fact they were able to initially trade it for Russell Westbrook's uh, contract, um, you know, that was that was the starting point. And then, you know, clearly um, he was able to get himself out of Oklahoma City and into Phoenix. But yeah, forty-four point two player option, which which we hear is going to certainly decline, and he might be looking for something more in the three-year, one hundred million dollar range. So as much as he might be giving up some money in that first year if he can guarantee himself another 50 or 60 million for a further two years and you know take him through to about a 39 year old um is quite hard to fathom but that's sort of the range he's going to be in i've heard you know i've read some stories about new york potentially being a, a team that would have interest in, in paying in that type of money so yeah I think you'd have Phoenix to have some trepidation playing chris paul paying chris paul 100 million over three years at his age now he's had a fantastic season hardly missed any i don't think he missed any regular season games but you could see his limitations, I think, towards the back end of this series. He, he's he certainly lost a step. Not that he, he I guess, that in his first few years he was certainly quick, but but he hasn't been super quick for a long time. He's so smart with his angles, but you can see the limitations of a six foot guard towards the back end of that series, couldn't you? Yeah, and like that's why it's just it was unbelievable that he was still playing. He played at such a high level this year because there was just there was so much uncertainty around you know him being able to even play out this contract that he's currently on because of his age and the fact, you know, the history is point guards don't necessarily get more athletic or, or any better. And he had, did have some injury history as well. So to think he can continue on at that level for three years would be optimistic at best, I think. I think what he's got to try and do is obviously find a situation where he, he probably doesn't have to be as an important cog into the whole machine and he can, you know, basically take some nights off or, you know, at the very least, play less minutes throughout the regular season and still land himself in a really strong 
position into the playoffs. So whether that's at Phoenix or whether he thinks that's somewhere else, well, that'll be you know one of the the key off season moves because as, as as we've mentioned, I think it's pretty clear that he will decline that uh, player option and look for some more longer term money again. So let's say oh, I think he'll stay at Phoenix. So let's say he stays at Phoenix. You look at that roster. What, what what do they need to add to sort of be a championship contender again? Because you, you run you run their team back. There's obviously a lot of talent in that West. Maybe they've got a little bit little bit lucky going all the way to the finals. When you're looking at their team, what do you think they need to add to be able to make another deep playoff run next season? Well, they probably need some more support in the backup big man department. I mean, obviously once Dario Saric went down, um, that did leave a bit of a hole. All credit to um, Frank Kaminsky though in that in that last game. I thought he really good, played, wasn't he? Played really well in the in the eleven minutes that he played. He certainly handled himself. Actually, started running some plays for him. <laughs> I think in in the, in the third quarter for a stretch there. So look, I think backup big to help support DeAndre Ayton. That you know maybe an upgrade over Dario Saric would be an area they could look at. You know, you'd, you'd think that Devin Booker is obviously going to be the key piece again offensively uh, going forward here, and Bridges is obviously tied up as well. Can they get a lift out of Jalen Smith, who was their draft pick from last Jeez, you'd year? You'd hope so, wouldn't you? You'd hope yeah, so. You, you, dra- you draft a, a centre at pick 10. He can't – he pretty much didn't play the whole playoffs or much throughout the season. You, you're going to hope next season he can give you at least something. Yeah, you'd, you'd like to think so. And You know, whether – you know, Cameron Payne's probably – you know, I think we, we did sing his praises, but in the end, like he did – probably battle a fair bit of these finals games as well. So whether they need to look at backup point guard, you know, depending on obviously with Chris Paul, but they might need to look for a slight upgrade again there because I don't know that their appetite to be paying campaign any significant money considering the value they got out of his contract uh, this year. So they've got some work to do around the edges, absolutely. But um, I think they're, you know, they're young cores intact, um, you know, with Bridges, Aiton, Booker, Cam Johnson, you know, Chris Paul returns and, and Jay Crowder's locked in for another couple of seasons. So that, that core group will come back and then it's, yeah, what can they do around the fringes? So, so where would where would you have them, you know, next year? J- just in the West alone, obviously there's the Lakers. Who knows? They're, they're looking to add somebody around Davis and LeBron. We don't know who they're going to get, obviously. You look at the West, there's some question marks because Denver obviously have Jamal Murray out for pretty much all the next season. The Clippers have... Pretty much Kawhi Leonard out, you'd imagine, for if not the whole season, most of the season. Dallas, you know, can they take another step with Doncic there? Utah sort of flamed out a little bit in the playoffs, but they were outstanding right throughout the season. So you're looking at the West there, and there's certainly a lot of question marks. So does the fact that Phoenix are going to bring back a large portion of their squad, that continuity going to help them out a lot and maybe you know, lead to another successful, uh, at least regular season for them? Or do you see maybe that they will take a little bit step back, a little bit of a step back, Chris Paul gets that little bit older and maybe can't produce at the same level? W- what do you reckon? Yeah, well, I think the uh, the dynamic has certainly continued to shift between East and West because you, you, you rattled off some of the teams there in the West Western Conference with some significant question marks over them. And you can go far as far down as Portland, what, what's happening with Lillard. Golden um, State. You know, yeah, Golden State, where, where do they land? Do they trade these draft picks they have? Does Wiseman come on at all? Um, does Clay Thompson come back with you know at any sort of high level? So there's some question marks all the way through the West. So I think at this stage, the two most stable teams, as you look at them, are probably the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns again, and possibly the Dallas Mavericks if they're bringing back the majority 
of their roster as well. So, look, I think Phoenix, as they're currently constructed, if Chris Paul returns, you know, and, and can sort of ease his way into the season, then, you know, I think their regular season was absolutely proof that they're a legitimately good team. Uh, they went 51-21 through that regular season, and there's nothing for me to suggest that they can't get back to that type of level again next season uh, with their predominantly young core. So I'd have them right in the mix as, a you know, certainly a top-four seed going into uh, into next season. Yeah, and there's more question marks around a lot of the other teams than what even Phoenix do have at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. So, so it was it was a great playoff uh, uh, run right throughout. I thought I really enjoyed the playoffs. If there was one player from from any team that participated in the playoffs, Caddy, that you thought raised probably their profile a little bit because of the way they played throughout the playoffs, who would that player have been for you? Well, I think uh, up until probably last week, it might have been DeAndre Ayton. I think he was the one. That you know, Phoenix were a bit off Broadway uh, for a fair part of the season, and then to for a lot of people to really get their eyes stuck into his game and his improvement over the last year or so was the one for me that probably stood out the most. Um, you know, some of the comparisons, just you know, some really you know great centers were, were starting to come uh, forthcoming for him. So I think you now he was certainly a player that, that added to his you know added to his credentials in terms of what people thought of him i think trey young certainly did himself no fa- uh, no harm in terms yeah, of the way he's he the one for me pro- trey young yeah yeah he produced on the big stage where you know there were question marks about him just being a you know a high scoring player on a bad team and wasn't didn't have the type of game that was going to translate into the playoffs but i think he put most of that to bed through his play as well so they're you know two good young players that you know winning that same draft as luka doncic um, who we've spoken about so often, and I think you know the, the three of those coming out of that top five in that draft is, have all you know led them led their teams essentially to to really strong futures. Yeah, Trey, as I said, Trey Young's the one for me. Nearly twenty nine points a game, nine and a half assists, led Atlanta to to the Eastern Conference Finals, and and now we're looking at Atlanta, and everybody's pretty bullish about how Atlanta will go next year, and for for good reason. And Trey Young's the, the main reason for that. So some of the shots he obviously hit in that first round series against what was a really hostile environment going into Madison Square Gardens. And he certainly didn't shrink away from that moment. And, you know, right throughout the playoffs, he came back, he got injured, we came back and, and you know, some players can't play through injuries. And yes, he's a little bit limited when he came back, but he was still able to produce. So I thought Trey Young, a guy who somehow didn't even make the All-Star team this year. So he, he's certainly gone um, and raised his profile a lot because of his run throughout the playoffs. So what a fantastic uh, NBA season it was, Caddy. There was obviously... Plenty of ups and downs, plenty of guys missed through COVID and some injuries and, and all sorts of stuff. But I, I thought, in the end, I, I thought uh, Milwaukee were a really deserving champion. They've been around the mark for, for, for quite a few seasons. So I thought it was really good to see them get the get their title that they thoroughly deserve. So for me, there's a lot of talk, obviously, about this was going to be an asterisk season. But I think that the fact that Milwaukee were able to come away with this title, I, I don't think you can put an asterisk on this season. What, what do you think in that regards? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think they they stood the stood to the test, and as you said, they're not a uh, flying the you know, flying the pan sort of uh, side. They've been around the mix uh, for a few seasons now. They've made plenty of you know playoff games, an Eastern Conference final. They just hadn't been able to get over the hump, and you now they were able to do that. And I think in the end, Phoenix were a worthy, really worthy opponent. I thought it was a really really good uh, series uh, all in all, and you could just tell the relief on um, Commissioner Adam Silver's face in the post game presentation. He was so but, excited, wasn't he, at the, at the just presentation? The fact that I, yeah, just that they finished the season, and you know they, there was so obviously so much work to do to get to that point, um, and manoeuvring all the way through uh, due to all the different things happening around the world. But uh, they were able to get to the end of it, and I don't think there was a more relief man in the building uh, really than, than than him to to be able to 
you know, now have a break from the season and, and look forward to hopefully a, a clearer run as they go into next season. And, and the US have sort of shown they're at a, at a level where, you know, they're going to be welcoming crowds back to most of these arenas uh, from the from straight off the bat uh, when the season resumes uh, later in October. And I'm sure all the players are looking forward to, to playing in front of those packed houses that we saw right throughout the playoffs. So we'll call the NBA talk there. As we mentioned earlier, obviously the Olympics have kicked off and, and we saw uh, the Boomers have their first game, which j- just finished, Caddy, about half an hour ago. And they got off to, to a good start. They, they come away with a win against a very danger, dangerous Nigerian team who we did see knock off Team, team USA during the exhibitions. And we, we did touch them up pretty comfortably during that exhibition series, but they, they didn't have anywhere near their full complement of players that night. Neither did we, but so it was good to see us come away with what was a scrappy win in the end, 84 to 65. So what did you see out of the Aussies in this game, Caddy? Were you impressed with the fact that they sort of just ground out the the win? Paddy Mills was his usual Paddy Mills south with 25 points and six assists. Um, it was a little bit scrappy, as I said, but, yeah, j- just good to get the win, I think, from an Aussie boomer's perspective. Yeah, I think so. I think it was a, a big tip just to get the first win out of the way. I caught a little bit of the Germany-Italy game earlier in the day, and that, was, again, was a, a really scrappy affair, and this one was as well when they came out. I mentioned to you off the air that, you know, whether – they all looked really like the perspiration was really coming off off their jerseys and off their faces, um, more so than you'd even expect. So I don't know what the temperature is like in that stadium, but they did seem like um, the ball was a bit slippery or something was going on because there was blokes falling over and balls getting um, slipping out of people's hands. So it did look like there was something a bit odd uh, happening, uh, particularly early in the game, so they all kind of settled down and found their groove. So I think the biggest takeaway again, was just the absolute excellence of Paddy Mills at this international level. He was just a standout once again with the 25 points. And, you know, my only concern with that is just, you know, almost the over-reliance that we have on Paddy Mills to create our offence at the moment. And, you know, if he isn't firing, there isn't too many other guys offensively that can really create their own shots in half court. And, Made uh, 34 yeah. out of a possible 40 minutes too. Yeah, not probably not ideal, I think, you know, in this group stage to be having such a, a big workload. But, you know, is certainly going to be having to handle that all the way through this tournament because, yeah, this, as we spoke about in the lead-up, there's not too many easy games in the, at the Olympic level anymore, so you've almost got to be you know, right on top of your game, and Paddy Mills was able to provide that today, again, leading the team. And you know, I think you know, I, the other positive I had out of this was probably the play of Bronte Exum, and, and, and his minutes were up at the 24 minutes as well. So Brian He was Gordon, great, wasn't he? Yeah, certainly has a lot of confidence in Dante Exum. And I was talking to my younger brother over text earlier, and just he just looks like he's going to get injured every time he falls over, which you know <laughs> just concerns me every time he jumps and lands, and um, he lands awkwardly, and you think shit, he's just going to be one of these guys that's just not going to get a clean run at it. But thankfully, each time he was able to get up and recover and and get back out onto the court. So yeah, he, he's been a real positive so far in this camp campaign for mine. Um, I was a little bit worried when I saw, you know, Nathan Sobey's two minutes that he played today were a bit, a bit ordinary. I don't know if you saw the first time he got on the court. He fell over. He yeah. fell over. So that was, whether that was nerves or, or something else, it didn't, it didn't look like he was running around with too much confidence. But, um, yeah, look, a, a good start. Again, as you mentioned, a pretty dangerous opponent who sort of stuck with him all the way through until probably, you know, the start of that last quarter, uh, really. But, they, you know, they were obviously hitting the three ball reasonably well there for a stretch, uh, Nigeria, but um, yeah, the, the overall class the Aussies was too much in the end. Yeah, I totally agree with the Dante Exum thing. I thought he was great. You, you look at his box score and it doesn't look that great. He was 4 of 11 from the field with five turnovers, but I thought he was able to penetrate and get into the lane 
uh, pretty good. He threw down a nice two-handed dunk in, I think it was the first quarter, and was able to get in and sort of throw out a few passes as well to some open shooters. And he, he probably just forced it a little bit at times when he didn't need to, but but it was a, re- a real positive. I, I agree that uh, that he did, that he did attack, and Brian Gorgian seems to have a lot of confidence in, in his ability to be out on the floor, and he's really good defensively as well. And same with Matisse Thybulle. Just as soon as he came on the floor, he was disruptive defensively. I'm looking at the box score now. He's been credited with the five steals, and that, that's no surprising because I thought he was outstanding on that end and threw down a couple of nice dunks. And I think they're still learning – that, that they've got an athlete in Matisse Lyle. I thought there was a couple of times where they caused a turnover and they could have thrown it ahead to him and he would have been able to finish pretty easily. But I don't think they quite understand yet what a, how good an athlete he is and they've got that ability to, to throw it ahead because Australia aren't used to having those guys that they can sort of throw the ball ahead to in transition. So hopefully they can get on the same page a little bit more with Matisse Thibel and he can get going. What about Nick Kay? I know you're a big Nick Kay fan. I thought he was really good off the bench tonight. Yeah, look, I've been right in the Nick Kay camp, um, you know, really since those pre-World Cup games of 2019. So, look, I really enjoyed his game again tonight. I think he's really solid, plays good defence. He was plus 19 in his time, in his 26 minutes today. So, you know, really effective when he was on the floor, uh, the 10.8 rebound. So, look, he's actually starting to take a few minutes off Jock Landale, who only played the 13 minutes tonight. So, I don't know if there was anything else wrong uh, with Landale for his minutes to, to be really down on what he, he's normally been playing. So, yeah, but Nick Kay was the guy that they, or the big guy they really lent on um, in this game tonight uh, to hold up most of those those minutes. So it'll be interesting how, you know, Gorgian um, looks at that big man rotation going forward because Aaron Baines only the 15 minutes, Landale the 13, and Nick Kay uh, had the 26 minutes in this one. So they have tended to be a little bit smaller. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds as the... Um, as the these group stage uh, continue on, yeah, Landau had the four fouls, so I think that might have contributed to his limited minutes. But but you you brought his name up just then. I think we've got an Aaron Baines problem. I thought he was pretty ordinary out there in his in his fifteen minutes. Now he had the five rebounds, uh, two for five from the field, so it doesn't read that bad. But. He, he just looked slow out there. There was a, a beautiful pass that he could have finished with an alley-oop, but he just couldn't quite get up there and finish it. And he had a he, he sort of beat someone off, off, off the spin, I think, and had a chance to, to, to finish it. But he was just so slow that he ended up getting blocked by two blokes from behind him. So I think we're, we're, when we're going to come up against some of these more talented centres, that he's going to be a real problem for us in the middle unless his play can get better. Because even, even during the, the – I know he got injured in the exhibition stuff, but I, have you, are you a little bit concerned about Aaron Baines? Because what I've seen out of him, I'm not all that confident in his ability to be able to produce what we need from the centre position. Yeah, look, I think there was probably some concern all the way through the NBA season, really, with his play. So, you know, he's certainly not at the level he was a year or two ago, um, just from his NBA contributions as well. So, no, he's going to need to improve. You know, in the World Cup a couple of years ago, his three-point shooting became a bit of a feature, and they may need to, you know, get him going from outside the arc as well um, to give him another another way of being able to hurt the, hurt the opposition. So, no, definitely some improvement to go for Aaron Baines. And, you know, I'll give him a pass just on the fact he was coming back from that injury uh, that he sustained um, during the warm-up phase game. So, hopefully he, he can continue to improve as the, the games continue on. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting how these Olympics play out. You know, as we've mentioned the whole time, there's really going to be no real easy walkover games. So, they're going to have to be on their, on their game all the way through. I think they've drawn a pretty good group here the boomers into these Olympics that they're in the group with Germany, Italy and Nigeria. So I think from that from that side of things they should be able to uh, progress pretty comfortably, hopefully, as the number one seed coming out of this group. 
What about D- Dally? What, what did you see out of Dally? Uh, Dally, I thought he had a couple of costly early turnovers. His shooting's obviously a little bit suspect. He did knock down the two threes in the end. What one was a sort of a late shot clock where he sort of was forced to to shoot it and didn't think about it and did hit it. But I'm a little bit concerned about, and I think you brought this up uh, a couple of weeks ago when we initially spoke about the boomers, just his total sort of lack of any offensive game um, is really, he's really limited offensively. And that could, that could haunt us when we come up against these better teams. Yeah. Well, I think today is probably his best case scenario, really hitting two, two threes out of four attempts. Now, look, I, I think as, as we continue on, there's going to be, and we saw it even in the in the minutes played today, there was there's going to be a greater reliance on Matisse Thibel in particular, uh, playing in that backcourt alongside Paddy Mills, more belt ball handling for Joe Ingles and also Dante Exum. So, look, Dally's obviously got a role to play. He can scrap in. He's got, you know, he's going to make life tough, as tough as he possibly can for, for his opposition players. But, you know, the best of Dalliver Dove is certainly behind him. And, um, you know, but he'll, he'll do everything he can to contribute uh, where the coach wants him to, but yeah, I think a game like today, where he's able to hit a couple of three balls, is probably about as good as we're going to see. You know, a good a level as we're going to get out of him. We're going to really be relying, I think, a lot, a lot more on uh, obviously Paddy Mills and then Matisse Bible as the um, as a guy that's going to have to continue to to step up offensively as well. Yeah, no doubt. And the 21 turnovers obviously isn't great. Luckily that uh, Nigeria had the 24 turnovers, I think it was in the end. So obviously a, a very very scrappy game. Now, 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 let's sort sort of make some predictions, Caddy. We've obviously spoken a lot about the US over the last uh, couple of uh, episodes. You know, they, they get the three guys that participated in the NBA Finals, and I think Drew Holiday in particular is going to have a really big effect for them. So so let's make the, the medal predictions. Who are you predicting for your gold, silver, and bronze and maybe sort of a, a team that could sort of get their way into uh, medal calculations if things go right for them? Yeah, look, I think at this stage I'd have to be – Sticking with the US to win the gold, I think um, if they could, you know, use the early early games in the in the series to just you know, find their feet in Tokyo and try and work out what their best, you know, seven or eight guy rotation is going to be when when things get to the pulling in. That's probably their their main focus as as they get through the the group stage. So they're in a group with the Czech Republic, France, and Iran. So they should be able to comfortably get through that. I, I can't see. I think they well they play France. Not real strong, tonight. is it? Yeah, that'll probably be their their toughest. Matchup, I would have thought. Um, France are bringing a, a pretty experienced team here. They've got NBA players like Rudy Gobert, Nick Batum, Evan Fournier. Uh, I won't even try and pronounce his name, but TLC from the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so, look, they've got some experience. Gershon Yabasale also played with the Boston Celtics. Vincent Poirier spent some time in the NBA. So they've got some NBA experience. Yeah, they do. So, look, they're, they're going to be you know a relatively strong side. You know, I think the, the US are clearly going to have too much for them. Um, and really, the Czech Republic are, are led by... The Chicago Bulls own Thomas Santoransky. So um, Iran, um, again, won't cause them any trouble as they go through the Czech Republic took care of them today by six points. So I think the US will, will be able to comfortably come out of the group phase and then I, I'd, I'd imagine they'll, well, I think they'll be the gold medal favourite. I think Australia should be able to get into that gold medal game this time around and I'll give them the silver medal at this stage and then I'll stick with the old um, the old stalwarts in Spain as the the bronze medalist at this stage. Um, they're going to be in a bit of a tougher group. They've got Slovenia, which is the Luka Doncic-led Sl- Slovenia, and then also Argentina. So they're in a, a bit of a, a slightly tougher group, but I think they'll make their way through. And hopefully, um, you know, whether it's the Boomers that have to play them in a semi-final, that we can get past them this time around and, and try and get into that gold medal game. So I'd have Spain as, as my third team. And then as a team to look, look at, I think it is going to be Slovenia. Um, they're not... 
you know, we're not used to seeing them on this big, big stage. Um, but you know, any team that's going to have Luka Doncic in it, it's going to have to have everyone's respect. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of level of play they're going to require of him, uh, game in, game out, for them to to basically get through to um, potentially a, a semi-final or a medal round. But yeah, Luka's an absolute star, and I think the international game only enhances uh, the sort of things he can do. It certainly does, and. You've picked the exact same three that I was going to go for with the US, uh, Australia, and Spain. And Spain have just, you just got to respect Spain's ability to back up, you know, World Cups, Olympics after Olympics. Ricky Rubio is thinking his third Olympics now. The Gasol brothers have been around forever. Willie Hernan Gomez has been there. Rudy Rudy Fernandez has played so many games for for his country. Victor Claver we've seen for over a a number of uh, Olympic campaigns and World Cup campaigns. So I agree. Certainly the USA, you, you can't. You've got to be crazy to tip against them. They've got Kevin Durant, you know, Dame Lillard, probably, well, Durant's certainly the best player and Lillard's probably the third best player after Doncic, arguably. So they've got the talent and if they can get it all together, um, they're certainly going to be the team to beat. And as I said, I think Drew Holiday's going to be a big piece for them with his defence, maybe get some, force some turnovers, allow the US to get out in transition and use their, and use their athleticism where they're going to be very hard to beat. So, yeah, certainly I'm, I'm going to be going with the USA. Yeah, I, I, maybe we've got our, our rose-coloured glasses on with the Boomers, Caddy, but I, I agree. I'm, I'm picking Australia to come second. I think they've got a lot of weapons, obviously got a lot of guys that have played together over a number of campaigns, and I think that's a real advantage, obviously, for Australia to have guys. And you could even see that today in the in the Nigerian game, and I think either Bogut or Gaze mentioned that on the call, that you could see when the game was a little bit tight that the Aussies just looked a little bit more cohesive than the Nigerian team did. So you'd, obviously that's going to continue right throughout this Olympic campaign. So finally, Caddy, we could see uh, Australia get that medal and, and hopefully we'll get to that gold medal game and, and who knows what can happen in that game. But I'm going to predict a silver medal for the Boomers, as you did. And yeah, the Spain team, as I've just mentioned, you just got to respect them. I think France is the other team now. You mentioned that they're going to play the US tonight. So I'm really interested to see how that does turn out. You know, they've got those guys that have got the NBA experience. France knocked us out in the World Cup, didn't they, when we played them recently, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? I... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, you know, Rudy Gobert is obviously a big thing for them in the paint. He's very good defensively. And he's, he seems to be a little bit uh, more featured, obviously, playing for France um, than he does for the Utah Jazz. So I'll be interested to see how the US do match up against a big centre like Gobert because I know Gobert caused some problems for Australia when we played against them last time. So I think for me, France is that team outside those top three that I could see easing into it. And, and, and as you said, they're obviously Slovenia as well with Luka Doncic. You've got to, you've got to be able to respect, or well, you have to respect any team that's got Luka Doncic in it. It's going to be going to be a one-man team, but we've obviously seen him do that for Dallas a number of times. So it would be absolutely no surprise um, for Doncic to be able to push up and get Slovenia into that into that middle contention. I guess the one team we didn't talk too much about is Japan that have got Rui Hachimura and, and Utah Wanatabi, who, who's with the Raptors now, I think. So it'll be interesting to, to see how Japan go. So, sometimes, I mean, I guess they've been a little bit disadvantaged, haven't, you? haven't they, Caddy? Because there's no crowd there. So they could maybe they could have been a little bit dangerous if crowds were permitted in, into these. Yeah, was, so- was there a crowd there tonight, actually? Uh, no, it didn't look like there was there was many in there at there all. Was so, cr- there yeah. was some crowd at, at the swimming today. I don't know if that was just well, fellow athletes or coaches and fellow athletes yeah, I mean, okay. predominantly. But um, now it's an interesting tournament. This one, there's still some some major countries that aren't actually playing or never qualify. Like the one that comes to mind, Serbia. They've been an absolute um, beast in in Olympic um, and World Cups over the last sort of 
eight to ten years, so they didn't qualify. You know, where's Croatia? <laughs> you know, to, to have an Olympics without Croatia, I think um, probably hasn't happened before. Lithuania isn't there. Yeah. So there's some um, really Toronto would have been things. dangerous if they had been able to get there. Yeah, Canada, yeah. yeah Toronto, Canada, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, no, there's some teams that aren't there. I don't even know um, which country um, Nikola Jokic would play for. He's um, where, where, Which country would he be playing for? If he was there? Serbia, isn't he? Serbia, maybe. So, you know, there's, you know, Joel Embiid, you know, whatever country he's, he's from, he's not there either. But, no, there's some... Some of the big countries that uh, you know we're used to seeing it, as I said, in particular Croatia, Lithuania, Serbia. So I, th- I think there is a real opportunity for the Boomers to be able to almost have an easier run through here than they've probably ever experienced um, potentially before. And I hate to put the put the mod on them uh, with that comment, but um, you know they, with, with the experience these guys have had together and, and their play in the lead up, and also just what we've seen um, already in uh, the first game tonight, I think they're going to be riding it up to there, you know, as, as far as they can go, hopefully. Uh, we'll keep every, our fingers and toes and absolutely everything crossed that uh, they can be, Caddy, because it's about, it's about bloody time. They've been thereabouts, you know, over the last Olympics and World Cup campaign. So I think it's, it'd be just reward for the Boomers to finally get that elusive medal for, for the for the men's basketball team. And, of course, the women's basketball team will be right there as well uh, in, in medal contention. So we'll call it there, Caddy. Still another another busy week coming up on, on the NBA side of things. We've got the draft coming up on Friday. Um, you know, there's some rumours about some some trades that might happen. There's usually a, a trade or two on draft night, so it'll be interesting to see what transpires on draft night. And then, obviously, we've got the these uh, qualification games or uh, these pool games for, for the Olympics as well. So we could have a little bit to talk about next week, but we'll call the show there, Caddy. And as I say every week, uh, thank you to everybody who continues to download this podcast. Uh, please jump on Apple Podcasts if you haven't as yet and give us a five-star rating. And also jump on Facebook and like the uh, page there because all the episodes do get posted there. Until next week, we'll speak to you then. Yeah.